This is the Signs of the Times Commentary, a look at the world from around our kitchen table. We have the three Signs of the Times editors around the table today. I'm Joe Quinn. I'm Henry C. And I'm Scott Ogren. But first, a brief introduction to our work for those of you who may not know us. Signs of the Times is a daily commentary on news, politics, and the general craziness of the world around us, including anomalous phenomena that don't generally make it into the mainstream press. Our website is found at www.signs-of-the-times.org. The Signs page is now in its fourth year, and we have a searchable archive available on our site if you want to get more details on some of the stories that have been in the news during that time. In the news is an interesting way to put it because in many cases these stories haven't made it into the mainstream news, at least not in the United States, where only, I think it's 12 or 17 percent of the population get their news from the Internet. But these stories do get covered in other countries, and that's why it's necessary to get your information from a variety of sources. Since we've started doing the signs page, we've get quite a bit of mail every week, some of it supportive, some of it not. But one of the things that some of our readers have a a hard time coming to grips with is that we don't have a political line that we push. Because we do a serious amount of Bush bashing, people on the right in the United States think that we're Democrats, while people on the left tend to dismiss our openness to certain oddball topics or questions of spirituality or esotericism because they're still caught in the illusion that we can change the world, an illusion that we shed long ago. Exactly. Our sole interest and goal is to get as objective a look at at reality as possible. This process obviously involves leaving aside our own prejudices, preconceptions, and socialization. Needless to say, better minds than ours have been trying to change the world for thousands of years and have achieved little success. In fact, the world has probably never been in a bigger mess or on the verge of a greater catastrophe than it is at the present moment in history. We might also point out that we each come from a different country and background. We have an American, a Canadian, and an Irishman. And these different backgrounds help us to get outside of the programming that we each received growing up because it gives us the opportunity to compare and contrast our reactions to world events. So next we'll take a look at the bus and tube bombings in London today. Uh, The soft sell on this has been going on ever since 9-11. People have been expecting that there would be a second Al-Qaeda attack in the Western countries. Uh, Of course, there was Madrid just prior to the elections in March of 2004. And now today, as the G8 summit in Glen Eagles was getting off, there was the bombing in London. Yeah, which is um, which is an important point and an interesting point. The fact that the London bus and tube bombings happened on the very same day, or indeed on on the day that the the G8 leaders were meant to announce to <coughs> to the world their their plan for fighting poverty and in Africa, um, certainly over the past week with the Live Aid concerts around the world, the, the focus had definitely been on on, on what the, the developed countries had not been doing and how they had been abusing and uh, abusing their power, their positions of power uh, 
to essentially get rich from the the, the suffering and the poverty uh, of of African people as well as other peoples around the world in in, in so-called developing countries. Um, so it was very interesting that these attacks actually happened today because what they served to do, obviously, was to totally shift the focus away from the responsibility of our leaders to to combat poverty and suffering in, in, in third world countries and focused it straight on to the, the ubiquitous war and terror. And we had Tony Blair when he gave his first uh, statement at noon today he made this particularly outrageous remark where he said, it is particularly barbaric. This has happened on a day when people are meeting to try to help the problems of poverty in Africa and the long-term problems of climate change and the environment. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's particularly um, cynical of him to say that given that um, Gordon Brown, the, the chancellor of the UK finance minister essentially, um, stated that uh, that the, the campaigners, the, the the Live Aid campaign, and the campaigners, the protesters in the streets should not. He, he didn't even say that they should not get their hopes up. He said that they should be be prepared for a disappointment, basically intimating that there was going to be no real solution to to third world poverty. There was going to be no uh, real cutting of any any meaningful debt to these countries. So it was very cynical of, of Blair to then use that, use the idea that, that, that the G8 leaders were, were actually going to do something. And, and then we had the, the this other statement that Blair made when he says, whatever they do, it is our determination that they will never succeed in destroying what we hold dear in this country and in other civilized nations throughout the world. And, of course, this coming from the head of the British Empire... Uh, which used armies to civilize the savages, uh, including uh, back in the in the 1920s, the use of gas on people in Iraq. Uh, it's quite an outrageous statement, and you see the yeah. Talk about talk about chemical chemical weapons and evil tyrants having chemical weapons. The first use of chemical weapons was by the the the, the then. I suppose you could still call it the then British Empire that um, that used uh, gas essentially as a test to test uh, the effectiveness of, of gas and, and chemical weapons uh, on Iraq. That well, what was to become Iraq? And we see the the reemergence of the the typically colonialist discourse, where we have the civilized nations on the one hand and then the savages that uh, the white man is going to go out and and save. Yeah, exactly. So it, 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 um, the fact that it came, the bombings in London came on, on, on this particular day was very, uh, very significant. Um, and it leads into the, the, the idea of, of, of the, terrorist, the terrorist attacks, the so-called terrorist attacks that have happened uh, over the past few years, um, for example, the, the Madrid train bombing and um, even terrorist attacks in, in Iraq. Um, one of the most interesting things about them is that these so-called Islamic or Arab terrorists seem to have no problem about killing either their own people or people in European countries that 
are sympathetic to their cause because this was the case in the, in the last year in March, March 11th, 2004, is Madrid train bombing where approximately 190 people uh, were killed, all of them basically just simple working class people on the trains in the morning. And the thing about Spain is that it was estimated that about 90% of the population of Spain were actually against uh, the Iraq war. So why would Islamic or Arab terrorists want to indiscriminately kill large numbers of Spanish or even any European peoples that, that actually essentially, to some degree, supported their cause? And that was something we saw in the run-up to the Iraqi war, the illegal invasion, that you had the so-called terrorist taking over of the theater in Moscow where... Putin was actively against the the United States trying to uh, force the UN to to come to an agreement to support the invasion. You had a French ship that was attacked, and France was also one of the the strong opponents to Bush's plans. You had the bomb that went off in Bali that was aimed at Australian vacationers, and even if the Australian government was in support, the Australian people themselves, like the Spanish people, like the French, like the Italians, were very much against it. So it was this curious sequence of the supposed Islamic fundamentalist terrorists attacking the people who were their biggest supporters uh, around the world. Yeah, I mean, they essentially seem to be um, supporting the agenda of the of Bush and Blair and Berlusconi and Athnar, the Spanish Prime Minister at the time. These, these so-called Arab terrorists were actually, um, you know, attacking uh, the people who had marched and demonstrated against these European leaders. So certainly, there seems to be a, a common agenda there, at least circumstantially. Uh, between the uh, European leaders and Bush, the pro-war European leaders and, and the Bush administration, and, and these uh, so-called Islamic or Arab terrorists. Which raises the question of a false flag operation. Exactly. What about the crazy idea? And it's not so much a, it's not so much a crazy idea, really. The simple idea that uh, you identify your enemy and then you essentially... Um, carry out an attack and blame him. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a theory or it's a tactic that really is as, as old as the hills. But so many people have such a a problem accepting that it that it could even be a, a core aspect of of intelligence agencies' um, strategy. Um, when you look at what happens in the period prior to a war, in the early stages of a war, you need to demonize your enemy. We saw that with Sodom, where all of a sudden Sodom was being compared to Hitler. Sodom, even though he had been a strong friend of the United States for many years, was receiving chemical weapons and other weapons from the United States. On, on a dime, uh, public opinion was made to turn around, and so you get the demonization. And what better way to demonize your enemy than to carry out some sort of a horrifying attack like this against innocent men, women, and children, and blame it on your enemy. Right there, you have a surefire way of, of 
categorizing a whole people as being less than human. And we saw this happen in 9-11 uh, yeah, certainly. in New York. Certainly, but the, we, don't even, we can go back a lot further than 9-11 for historical precedents for this idea of a false flag operation. And when we say false flag operation, the term just comes from the idea of it's probably fairly intuitive, but it's just to explain it's it's you know raising a false flag. It's it's, it's you carry out an attack and then you you, you wave a flag of uh, the flag of your enemy, uh, identifying them as the perpetrators of the of the attack. And historical precedents for this include uh, recently, well not recently, but certainly in the past uh, maybe ten or. 12 years, the release of, under the Freedom of Information Act, the, the were documents, uh, specifically the Northwood documents that were uh, released, which essentially were evidence, uh, documents from uh, a meeting of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the early 60s, where the American Joint Chiefs of Staff had got together and decided how best they were going to encourage or garner public support for uh, an invasion of Cuba to overthrow Castro. So basically what these, our leaders, these wonderful people, the so-called leaders decided upon was to bomb, essentially bomb a U.S. airliner, blow a U.S. airliner uh, full of people up and then blame it on Cuba. So this idea of a false flag operation goes back a long time. And is evidence for the fact that it really has been a, a mainstay of, of of the thinking of these types of people. And we've seen it also regular regularly occurring in Palestine. If you remember back uh, just over a year ago, when the international court came out with its ruling on the apartheid wall separating the occupied territories and from from the Israel. Uh, the day of the announcement, uh, there was a so-called suicide bombing in Tel Aviv. Exactly. Yeah, the the, the world the world court had uh, ruled that the, that the wall was illegal, and that it did not really contribute to Israel's fight against Palestinian terrorism. That it wasn't to its security. Yeah, and, and to the security of Israel. And as if to confirm or to reject the, the world court's uh, ruling, these, again, we have to say, so-called Palestinian terrorists decided that they would infiltrate Israel, bypassing the wall, and commit an attack against the Israeli population as if to just you know, prove Sharon's point that, uh, that the wall was actually needed. Now, you've got to wonder, when things like that happen, just who really is behind these attacks. Because uh, as soon as the Palestinians start getting some quote-unquote, good press, something like this happens and the, the court ruling is no longer in the headlines. It's bloodthirsty Arabs killing poor, uh, defenseless Israelis. Exactly. It's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Every time there's any sort of peace deal that's about to be brokered, the Palestinian terrorists, quote-unquote, seem to shoot themselves in the foot. And today it was interesting as well because... An early report after the London bombings uh, said that former uh, Israeli prime minister and, and current finance minister 
Benjamin Netanyahu, who was in London at the time, uh, early reports were saying that he had been warned just prior to the first bombing not to leave his hotel to go to a conference on the Israeli economy that was being held in London. Uh, This, of course, was very, very quickly denied by the Israeli foreign minister, and yeah, the interesting thing with that is that the um, you had conflicting statements, and it's one of the things that we notice um, after a lot of of these attacks that in the immediate aftermath, there's a lot of conflicting statements, which on on one hand may not seem that strange because there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and there's there's different stories coming out. But certainly, in terms of um, what we're looking at, in that, in that, it, it probably was not Arab terrorists that carried this attack, and that it may well have involved the Israelis or the Israeli intelligence agency. It's certainly interesting that, on the one hand, you had the British Metropolitan Police saying that they had received a warning from the Israeli embassy that the bomb attacks were going to occur, and at the same time, you had the Israeli embassy saying that they had received attacks from the Metropolitan Police that the bomb attacks were going to occur. And then afterwards, both of them denied that any of this happened. Which takes us back to the early hours after 9-11 when there were reports that the Israeli firm Odigo, that the two employees of Odigo, had received emails just prior to the 9-11 attacks warning them of course, after this report started to emerge in the press, it was immediately retracted and then denounced as being uh, anti-Semitic. However, in uh, 2004, uh, the the head of Odigo came out and admitted that this had happened. As well, uh, Mossad... Uh, has already carried out some false flag operations in London. There was a bombing of the Israeli embassy there in 1994, and two Palestinians were eventually convicted for this. But there was also uh, an article that came out in, in The Independent, a British daily, in November 1998. And this article... Uh, made the point that the person, one of the people who'd been accused of the bombing of the Israeli uh, embassy in London, Rita Maghribi, was actually an agent who'd been recruited by Mossad and who had been assigned by Israeli foreign intelligence to to this particular operation. Yeah, so it's, you know, one thing that really has to be understood to really get a grasp of... of, of the reality of the situation is that going back to, for example, even to the Second World War, you know, you had, uh, leading up to the Second World War, you had uh, the Nazi threat to to Europe and to America and to the world with, with the Nazis, with Mussolini, with, with Franco in Spain, this fascist threat that was, was threatening to take over uh, the civilized world. Um, obviously, in the, during the Second World War, that, that threat was uh, basically went away. It was defeated um, with the fall of the, the, Nazi, the Nazi regime. But very shortly thereafter, 
a new threat du jour came along, uh, this all-encompassing kind of menace that was threatening, again, civilized. And when we say civilized, we're really talking about uh, Western capitalist countries. Um, and just to make it clear, we're just using that term capitalism, but we're not espousing any other kind of ideology like communism or anything like that. It's just to define it. Um, so immediately after the Second World War, you had this, the, the communists, the, the reds under the bed, the, the witch hunts, the, the commies are coming to get us, and all of this was used. This is, it was essentially a, a fake threat with the Cold War and everything. It was a faked uh, threat to to the West, and essentially it was a, it was a threat that was used to uh, to the greatest extent by by the Americans, by successive American governments, to essentially justify uh, invasions and um, overthrowing various governments around the world. Governments that essentially were, were socialist governments, were governments of the people for the people, who as much as they could have been. Uh, so it was. It was the U.S. government's attempt to essentially, and then it was succeeded in, in, in quite a, in, in most cases, of uh, removing any kind of leftist-leaning or socialist governments that were essentially seeking to 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 do to right by their people, to uh, impose some kind of uh, representative, uh, not impose, but to institute some kind of a representative government where there was, you know proper social security, social services, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and, and to deny and such, such governments were not very likely to uh, allow large American or European corporations to come in and essentially pillage their country and, and, and the country's wealth, particularly for oil and natural resources. So this communist threat throughout the, the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right up until the 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 fall or the, the collapse of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, and um, this was used all through through those years to essentially impose what is today known as uh, globalization or the opening up the markets of essentially many many countries around the world to large American corporations. Including all any kind of opera- corporation you can think of, and, but most particularly um, uh, oil companies for oil, oil exploration in the various countries around the world that had large large reserves of oil. And it's also interesting to see how, during that period, the threat of the bomb was so important in terms of psychologically weakening the population so that they would willingly follow the crazy policies that their governments wanted to impose. Growing up in the 50s and 60s, there was a continual sense of dread of the atom bomb, and uh, people in the West, especially in the United States, were, were worrying about whether they needed a bomb shelter in their backyard. And... The psychological effect on people was was quite frightening, and you see that after the the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, and all of a sudden the communist threat wasn't there, and there was this rise of a sense of hope among people. Would finally we be able to get out of this this horrible dialectic that had been uh, engulfing the world? And now we see that the war on terror is ser- serving the same thing. 
as the fear of the atomic bomb was 40 years ago. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's, you don't know when it can happen. Uh, you don't know where it's going to strike. It's there. It's a permanent sword hanging over your head yeah. constantly. Exactly, with the, uh, with the death of the, of the Red Devil, I suppose, at the end of, um, at the, end of the 80s, uh, with, the, with, with the collapse of the Soviet, the Soviet Union, immediately hot on the heels of that of that collapse you had islamic terrorism um gaining more and more <coughs> recognition in the press and around the world and being pushed more and more by particularly by the american government as 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 a new threat to to civilization so it basically the islamic terrorism is basically the new communism the new communist threat of uh, of today and the point is that all of these threats were manufactured they seemed very, very real, and to a lot of people, we're sure that the Arab threat, uh, the Arab terrorist or Islamic terrorist threat, seems very, very, very real. But the point is that if you look at history and look at the way, look at the nature of governments and the thinking of their their intelligence agencies and the way they they go about plotting to essentially impose a, a world hegemony. Well, it's important that they maintain a climate of fear. Yes. So I mean, I mean, basically, what we're saying here is that the, that the Islamic terrorist threat uh, supplanted or has replaced the communist threat, and that it's a, it's essentially it's a fake threat, and that it's simply used by governments of uh, Western governments. We mean Western governments, we mean mainly European governments and uh, and the American government to scare the population into supporting their wars for profit, um, and it works very very well, and it's. Um, it's it's just it's ongoing to this day, and it started you know many many years ago, particularly specifically after the Second World War, um, and it's just something that we maybe want to talk a little bit a bit about because it's it's been raised in the press recently in the mainstream press recently, although it, it, there was no real as is so often the case today there was no real uh, investigative journalism done. Um, in fact, that. The, the story in the news that references this idea of of, of a false flag uh, terror uh, attacks or um, intelligence agencies posing as as terror groups and carrying out attacks is actually linked to the recent uh, story about Karl Rove being the the person who outed Valerie Plame as a CIA agent in two thousand four. Because her husband, uh, former ambassador Joe Wilson, had been publicly, or had been certainly planning to publicly uh, denounce or reject or um, claim as false the Bush administration's allegations that Saddam had been attempting to procure uranium to make nuclear bombs from uh, Niger. Um, The source, as it turned out, of these what came to be called the uh, the Niger documents was a member of the Italian intelligence service who had connections with people like Michael Ledeen, the notorious neocon military strategist, and Rumsfeld, and the entire uh, neocon, the cabal, the cabal. The cabal. Yeah, basically... The it was part of the whole neocon takeover, I suppose, of the Defense Department in the U.S. 
uh, along with Rumsfeld and Rumsfeld in, in league with the with with certain neocons, Ledin being one of them, set up uh, a separate operation called the Office of Special Plans, which was essentially an organization that operated beyond the 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 knowledge of Congress and beyond uh, supposedly the knowledge of the president as well, uh, where they would assign agents, their own hand-picked agents, to go and carry out certain black ops, as they call them, uh, special operations uh, around the world. And this was all funded by what they call black budgets as well, which is, which were probably funded by the well-known drug running that the CIA has been involved in for many, many years. All of this ties into what was known as Operation Gladio. So basically this was, as we were stating, the, the Niger documents that were uh, f- proven to be, to be fake and false by Joe Wilson, the husband of Valerie Plame, who was then outed by uh, Carl Rove as, a, as retaliation for him, stating that they were fake. How, how dare he t- out the U.S. government as having told a lie um, these documents came from an, an Italian intelligence agent. Um, and this also ties into a very recent story uh, in the press about a Italian judge who ordered the arrest of 13 alleged CIA agents who had abducted or um, kidnapped a Muslim cleric um, from Italy, from Milan, and taking him to Egypt for apparently for torture or whatever they do to these people in these detention centers. Um, it was also revealed that this Muslim cleric was actually uh, an asset of the same covert group that, that Rumsfeld had been um, had set up to carry out these operations beyond the, the site of, of, of Congress. So this Muslim cleric was a essentially an asset and informer for, for this group. He would infiltrate uh, Arab groups and feed the information back to the to this group, uh, essentially just for intelligence gathering. But as we'll, as we'll discuss a little later, it's, um, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with protecting the American people from terrorist attacks. It had a, and, a, and had a lot to do with... and had a lot to do with actually ultimately carrying out terrorist attacks and blaming it on, for one example, blaming it on the Iraqi, Iraqi insurgency. So the point about this is, is that this group of Americans, American agents, were not really part of, it's possible that they were not really part of the, of the standard of the, the official U.S. CIA, for example, but were a, 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 a covert black op- operations unit um, that really didn't have much to do with the CIA, but was under the under the direction and the control of Rumsfeld and the other neocons that essentially control and dictate policy in in Washington at the minute. So, yeah, so all of this actually ties back into uh, we've just what we mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, which was the Operation Gladio, which was essentially a, a group set up again by by the Americans um, after. Uh, World War II, they were also called the uh, the stay, stay Behind Group, and the idea was that because of the newfound communist threat, the phony communist threat, 
these groups were ostensibly in place in various countries around the world to stay behind in the event that uh, some kind of communist or socialist government would take over the that country. Not so much take over, but essentially just rise to power, probably in a, in a, in a democratic and, and normal way. And in, in, in the event of that happening, because any kind of a socialist or communist government gaining power was such a terrible thing from the point of view of American corporations and American dominance of the world, these groups were uh, employed, or their, their agenda or their role was to carry out a or carry on a guerrilla war against any kind of communist or socialist government that that came to power. And we should point out that the stay-behind networks were made up, in many cases, of former fascists or fascist supporters. Exactly. A lot of them were actually members of the... They were members of the the Nazi party, of the Nazi, of the German Nazi regime, who were offered the opportunity, let's say, to, to work within these groups in exchange for no charges being brought against them for their crimes in Nazi Germany. As someone once pointed out, the Nazis didn't actually lose World War II. They just retreated to America. This ties into Operation Paperclip, which was a major operation following World War II, where the United States brought into the country uh, former supporters of the Nazis, former Nazis, scientists, people like uh, Werner von Braun, and to beef up the American military and the space program. So quite a number of Nazis. I think one number I read was close to 200,000 of them were given uh, safe conduct and were established to work with the U.S. government. Yeah, so just to give uh, some concrete examples of the activities of these stay-behind groups or stay-behind network, uh, also known at the time as the actual operation at the time was called Operation Gladio, uh, Gladio being the Latin word for sword. Um, in 1982, in August 1982 to be exact, they carried out a train bombing. A train bombing. Not unlike the train bombing in London on Thursday, July 7th, 2005. Or the train bombing in Madrid in March of 2004. Yes, not unlike any of those, this stay-behind group, which was essentially made up of a ragtag bunch of mercenaries, you could probably call them from various places, including from America, but most importantly financed by the American government, they carried, out a, they carried out a train bombing in Bologna on August 2nd, 1982 and murdered 85 Italian civilians. And the reason they did this was because at the time the Communist Party in Italy was gaining more and more ground and they were actually planning... The Communist Party had been... The, the, the Italian pre, uh, Prime Minister at the time had more or less agreed to share power with the Communist Party. So this... Gladio Group, financed by the U.S., essentially planted a bomb in Bologna on a Bologna train and killed 85 civilians and then left, coincidentally left, um, evidence, quote-unquote, indicting the the Communist Party or the members of the Communist Party. In fact, it's very, very similar to what um, Hitler did 
1933 in the Reichstag fire were where a communist was accused of setting fire to the Reichstag. Well, exactly. He was accused of being a communist. There's debate over actually whether he was actually a communist or not, or whether he was actually aware of what he actually was, because it seems that historical documents would suggest that he was actually mentally retarded, and the Nazi party at the time blamed him. And he was just one guy, and they claimed that he burned down the Reichstag, the, the German parliament building, and this was used as a as an excuse to impose or to bring in or pass draconian laws and legislation clamping down on civil liberties in Germany at the time. This is what the these kind of stay behind networks of the Operation Gladio was were all about. They were essentially <coughs> involved in false flag operations back in nineteen in the late forties. And from then, right the way through to, really right the way through to today, because it seems that this group that the Italian judge has uh, ordered to be arrested are actually members of the same type of organization, again, financed and funded and backed by the U.S. government or by a faction within the U.S. government, because it seems that there always has been a faction within the U.S. government that operated above and beyond the the control and the awareness of Congress. So this group that have been operating in Italy, in Italy uh, rendering various Muslim clerics from Italy. Chris Floyd, who writes for the, he writes a weekly column for the Moscow Times, did a piece on Operation Gladio. And for those of you who think that we may just be spinning wild conspiracy theories with no documentary proof, uh, Floyd found uh, a document, or actually it was unearthed by another researcher, a Pentagon document that was field manual FM30-31B, which details the methodology for launching terrorist attacks in nations that, quote, do not react with sufficient effectiveness, unquote, against communist subversion. Continuing on, Floyd writes, ironically, the manual states that the most dangerous moment comes when leftist groups renounce the use of force and embrace the democratic process. It is then that U.S. Army intelligence must have the means of launching special operations, and this is a quote from the Pentagon document, which will convince host country governments and public opinion of the reality of the insurgent danger. Well, if the uh, so-called leftist danger have already embraced the democratic process, then obviously what's going on here is false flag operations to try to convince the public that they have not embraced the democratic process, once more to demonize the opposition. So we've been discussing what's gone on in London today, throwing some ideas around. It's a little too early to take a hard and fast decision as to what really happened, all we can do is play with probabilities and speculate and go on previous experience. So we're not making any accusations. We're just giving people some food for thought. One other point from the London uh, bombings today was that it didn't take too long after the bombings that uh, speculation turned to it being another al-Qaeda operation, of course, and 
early on in the day, we were told that it was a previously unknown organization that was called the Secret Organization Group of Al-Qaeda Organization in Europe. How's that for a title? And and this was before even uh, any of the really the, the, the official announcements by uh, officials in London ha- had been released. And it was, uh, I think initially it was uh, either the BBC or Sky News who had reported that uh, they had received information from an Arab source who had, this Arab source had received information that it was Al-Qaeda. So, I mean, this was information that was that was passed along, and of course, subsequent to that, it, it seems that the entire thing has uh, all the hallmarks of past, quote-unquote, Al-Qaeda operations. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable that people would immediately jump to that conclusion because the Arab terrorist threat, particularly after 9-11 and the, the various attacks that have happened since that, um, that Al-Qaeda is so pervasive, or that, that better said, the, more, the, the Islamic terror threat is so pervasive that who else is it going to be in this day and age? It's, and this is just, this isn't a testimony to how good Al-Qaeda is at carrying out attacks or, or how they've kind of cornered the, the market, the global market on terrorism, but simply how good the American government and the, and the British government are at, at their propaganda and their demonization of Arab people in general because their goal is essentially to uh, invade all of the Middle East and restructure the Middle East. So what better way to garner public support for that than by creating or manufacturing this this all-pervasive Arab terrorist threat? But it's interesting to note that on every occasion that there has been a, a an, an attack by a so-called Islamic terrorist group that in almost every case it's an unknown or a previously on it's it, the way it's phrased is that it's a previously unknown group affiliated or associated with al-Qaeda and that they usually post their admission or of guilt or they claim responsibility for the attack on some obscure website and we'd just like to make a point or ask our listeners to think about just how easy it is for with, with the resources of, uh, of the intelligence agencies of a nation state, a large nation state like Britain or the US or, or Israel, which is, while it's small, it's immensely wealthy and powerful, obviously with, with backing and financing uh, to the tune of billions of dollars every year from the US, how easy it would be for such a, uh, the intelligence agency of such a state to, to plant some bombs um, and then just walk away, let them explode, and then have someone else setting up, uh, phoning, even phoning in a, a call to, to a radio station or putting a, a posting of a, a responsibility on, on a website. I mean, that's just, it's, it's, it's so simple for them to do that. And that's really the problem. There's no real way for any of us to verify the claims of our, our government uh, officials and what we essentially have to fall back on is the idea that they wouldn't do that, that these people or leaders are tasked with the responsibility of of caring for us and looking out for our security and our needs. But again, the problem with that is that all you have to do is observe these people, listen to them speak, look at what they look at, look at their intentions and and and, and their essentially their policies to see that these people are in no way 
decent, responsible, upstanding members of the community. They're essentially people who have been corrupted by power, and there is literally nothing that they, that they wouldn't do to ensure that they maintain that power and indeed that they increase their power. Well, the coffee cups are empty, and that was our agreed-upon sign for the ending of the discussion. We'll be back next week with a look at George W.'s growing unpopularity at home. You can write us at podcast at signsofthetimes.org. That's signs-of-the-times.org. And you can also read our daily look at world events on the website, www.signsofthetimes.org. Once more, signs-of-the-times.org. See you next time.